Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is DJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be continuing our series on the original Christmas playlist. Although I'm not in the room with you, thanks to uh, the miracle of technology, I'm still able to, to, to be with you in a way. But uh, before we get started this morning, let's offer up a word of prayer. Gracious and heavenly God, thank you for the opportunity to be together this morning, although not physically in the same place, uh, but at least looking at the word together. I pray that this time spent in your word would be fruitful, God, and that you would speak and that you would give each and every one of us ears to hear whatever it is you have to say. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So as I said, we're continuing our series on the original Christmas playlist. And one of the reasons, uh, or one of the reasons I'm excited about this series is, at least for me, the Christmas season usually gets started or, or, or I, I start to get in the Christmas spirit and get prepared for Christmas when I start hearing Christmas music. Uh, and usually it's like Mariah Carey or Michael Buble or one of those, you know, old timey guys that has been on the radio forever. Uh, but it's usually the Christmas music that really starts getting me into like, like the holiday spirit and gets me, gets me thinking about Christmas, gets me excited about Christmas and gets me excited about putting up decorations. Now, the songs we sing nowadays, most of which are, let's just say they're not very deep, okay? We're, we're talking about, you know, all I want for Christmas is you, you know, I hope it snows during Christmas. There, Hey, there's a snowman, and he, uh, he came to life one day, and these are kind of the songs we sing uh, in preparation for Christmas, or at least there's the ones I hear on the radio most often. And what we have in the Bible are these Christmas songs that were like so much deeper, uh, so much, not just heavier, but they were so full of joy and so full of emotion uh, that, that they just captured something that I think many of our Christmas songs don't quite capture today. And so I was, I was thinking about this this week in preparation for this sermon today. When, when's the last time you like broke out in song? Not, I'm not talking about like when, when your favorite song comes on the radio or, you know, when you're in the shower and the acoustics are just hitting right. I mean, when is the last time that something welled up inside of you, that there was an excitement and a joy so deep and so great that you couldn't help but sing. I had to think about this. And I couldn't think of a time when I actually burst out into song. But I do remember a time when I was very, very close. Uh, not that long ago, you know, a number of years ago, I, I lost my job. I, I was let go. And I was without work for five months. And during those five months, it was a season of, of waiting, of course, but it was a season of heartbreak. Uh, it was a season where I was really 
doubting and questioning what I was doing with my life. You, you go in interviews and you just get rejected over and over again, even when you thought the interview went well, and there were just all kinds of things that didn't seem to be going very well during this season. And I really started to question myself and lose some hope that I'd ever figure out what I was doing next. And one night, I got a phone call. And this phone call was basically telling me that I was getting a job, okay? I, I was being offered a job and it was late. I remember it was dark outside and I, I stepped outside. I'm one of those, I, I don't know if you do this. I'm one of those people when I get on the phone, I walk and, and I usually walk in like circles or do a lap. And so I was doing laps around the backyard in the dark and eventually the words were said, we want to offer you a job. And I remember I, I, I started not just walking, but I was skipping in a circle. And I don't remember what else they said after we're offering you the job. You know, I, I, they probably gave me some details or said an email would follow. But I remember by the end of it, I was, I was like hands in the air, skipping around our backyard. I didn't burst out into song. It was late at night and I think James was asleep and so I wasn't going to do that. But it was so close, so close to bursting out in song. And I tell this story because, you know, it wasn't the phone call that, that made me burst out in song. The, yeah, the phone call was the catalyst and the reason, you know, I, I was excited that day. But honestly, it was the, the five months of waiting and the five months of being unsure of what was going to happen next. The five months of doubt, the five months of, of just real real like darkness that I felt. And immediately with one phone call, it was lifted. And, and there was just this welling up inside of me, this, this, this excitement that all of a sudden it was going to be over. Uh, and the song we're gonna look at today is a little bit like that. The song we looked at last week was a little bit like that with Zachariah and Elizabeth. And, and what we're gonna see is that a lot of the songs in the original Christmas were like this. They were songs that were, that were people had waited so long for these things to happen. They had been told promises, they had been told things were gonna happen. And after years and years, sometimes generations of waiting, finally they were happening and they couldn't help but burst out in song. And so the song we're looking at today actually doesn't take place in the Gospels. It's referenced in the Gospels, but it actually takes place way back in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet, and Isaiah wrote his, his books, and he lived about 700 years before Jesus came about. Okay, so a long time before Jesus had come about. And he wrote to the people of God. He wrote to God's people and he wrote prophecies to God's people. And specifically, the passage we're going to look at today is a passage where Isaiah was writing to the people of God who were in exile in Babylon. The people of God were taken into exile into Babylon. They were taken into a land that was not their own. They were A lot of what they had was taken from them. They, it, was, it was 70 years of just torture. For God's people. And this is where Isaiah's song comes in. He sings this about coming out of this 70 years. And so let's look at this passage. It comes from the book of Isaiah. Uh, and we're going to be looking at chapter 40. 
verses 1 through 9. So I'll give you a second to get there, um, but the words will also be on the screen here. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. This is God's word. I want to walk through these passages real quick just to see what they were saying. Uh, and it can be broken up at least what, from what I saw in about four different, uh, four different pieces. And so it starts in verses 1 through 3. Two, with this with this proclamation of comfort, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And remember, Isaiah would would have been speaking this to a people who had spent seventy years in exile in a land that is not their own. And so, this speaking of comfort is is Isaiah speaking. Your your troubles and your trials are soon coming to an end. Take heart, rejoice, because God is coming. God is going to rescue you out of this. And it's interesting that it says that their hard service has been completed, that their sin has been paid for. And something to think about in all this is, you know, sometimes we think when, when the people are in exile or when people are going through hard times that God is absent um, that, that God was just not listening to the people or maybe he was, got distracted and then they were taken into exile and he had to figure it out and it took him 70 years. But the truth is, what we see in this passage is that God was constantly working with his people. God was constantly doing things and orchestrating things for his people, through his people. And even in this instance, as it says, their sin had been paid for, that they were disobedient, and so this exile, even though God might have seemed silent, God was very much in the process. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are the passages that you might be familiar with because they come from the book of Luke as well, and we're going to look at John the Baptist who talks about these. But this is talking about preparing a way for the Lord, making straight the paths 
for God, making the mountains come down, making the valleys come up, making sure the path is straight and that it is plain. And this is something that, that Pastor Matt actually talked a little bit about last week. This idea of, of building a highway for God and building a highway in our hearts. And what he had talked about is that when he was in Ghana, that there were just potholes and terrible roads. And it wasn't until the president was visiting that the people actually fixed up the roads, that there were actually teams out there making the roads smooth and straight because someone important was coming. And what we're going to see is that Isaiah here is saying, make these paths straight because God is coming to rescue you. But what we're going to see is that he's also going to be talking about Jesus coming. But we're gonna to get to that in just a bit. Verses six through eight uh, are, are kind of a funny part of this song. The voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? This is like a, a very pessimistic, I guess, portion of the, of the song. It says, all people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field, basically saying they are fragile, they are frail, they're delicate. They cannot withstand much. You can tell the people to do one thing and they might start out by doing it, but they're going to fail very quickly. Even the flowers, the ones that stand out, even they are going to fall under God's breath. And the part that's interesting here is, yes, I think Isaiah has a great, a great view of human nature, even if it might be a little pessimistic. But here's the highlight. Even though the people are frail, even though they are like grass, and even though they're going to fall, it says in verse 8, but the word of the Lord endures forever. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And that's going to be a part we're going to come back to as well. And then verse 9 basically says, You who bring good news to Zion, go up, proclaim this good news. Proclaim that your God is coming. Proclaim that a path is being prepared. Proclaim that comfort is coming. For here is your God. He is going to rescue out of exile, and he is going to bring you back to your land and bring you back to himself. What we see here is that, like I said, this passage is written about 700 years before Jesus. And when we come to the Jesus stories in the book, specifically today, we're going to look at the book of Luke, what we see is that one of the people who came before Jesus, namely John the Baptist, the one who is preparing the way for Jesus, what he does is he uses this passage from Isaiah as, as a way of identifying his mission as a way of identifying what he's doing. He's taking this passage that was originally used to describe God leading his people out of exile, and he's using it in a new way to talk about Jesus rescuing his people from their sins. And so, coming back to John in the book of Luke. Just a few things I want to talk to us about John, because last week we looked at John as a baby. Uh, we looked at his, his mother, Elizabeth, and his father, Zechariah, the priest, and we looked at the miracle that was his birth. Um, but as John got older, he, he was a little odd. Uh, it says that he lived in the wilderness, um, namely in the desert. 
It says that he wore camel's hair. He wear clothes made out of camel's hair, which I don't believe is like, you know, the cashmere of the Bible days. We don't have clothes made out of camel's hair these days. And it also gives us the little detail that he ate locusts and wild honey. This is not, this is not your typical guy. This wasn't a guy who was like elected to an official position in the city. He was a guy in the desert wearing camel's clothes, eating locusts, but he had a message to proclaim. And so what we see is that John is going to use this passage Nearly 700 years after Isaiah wrote it down, we have Jesus who is about to come and he is using this passage to tell the people, you need to get ready. Because just like God led his people out of exile, Jesus is going to come and lead his people and save his people from their sins. And he tells them they need to get ready. Think for a second about how long they've waited for this. I told you in my story that I waited five months for this job and I wanted to, to run around the backyard. I was throwing my hands up. I was basically dancing and I don't dance. And what we had is in Isaiah, these people waited 70 years for this message of comfort that they would be rescued. But when it comes to John, this message that John is going to give about the Messiah, it has been centuries. It has been thousands of years that people have been waiting for this. This is exciting. This is where the songs come from. And this is what he's telling them to prepare for. And so if you have your Bibles, would you flip all the way to Luke chapter 3? And we're going to look uh, basically at the first half of that chapter. So Luke chapter 3, it starts with saying, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Arturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country and around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. And listen to how John interacts with the people. Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? 
He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When this passage was quoted, this, this a voice of one calling in the wilderness, everyone would have known the context. Everyone who heard this or read this would have known exactly that passage in Isaiah that we just looked at. That passage in Isaiah that preached comfort. That passage in Isaiah that said, your sins have been paid for, your, your God is coming, get ready. It's the, the passage that said, the word of the Lord endures forever, even though you're like grass, even though you are fickle and you are going to fail. They would have known the promises involved and the preparation that this passage had called for. That when this passage said that it was going to make straight the roads and bring down the hills and raise up the valleys, it wasn't talking about actual hills and actual valleys and actual roads, but it was talking about people's hearts and them needing to prepare for Jesus' coming. What I find interesting is that John's response to the people in, in how he tells them to prepare, he, he doesn't give them some like super spiritual or like monk on top of a mountain type answer. He doesn't tell them, you know, the way you need to prepare for Jesus is you need to go up to a quiet place and you need to fast for 40 days and prepare your hearts and cleanse yourself of everything unclean. No. He doesn't tell them they need to go into the temple and they need to give all of their money. He doesn't tell them they need to, to pray constantly until Jesus comes. He doesn't, he doesn't give them some super spiritual, you know, holier-than-thou answer. He gives them an answer that actually involves other people. When, when, when the people ask, how do we prepare? What should we do to prepare? All of John's answers involve our relationships and how we interact with other people. Listen to what he says, you know, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And the people ask, okay, so what should we do? And he says, well, if you have two shirts, you know, you have your shirt on and you have your extra shirt and you see somebody who doesn't have one, give that shirt to them. If you have enough food and you see somebody who doesn't, you should give them some food. If you are a soldier, he tells them not to give into the practices that the other soldiers might have been tempted to do, not to extort anything around them, but to be content with the pay that they had. 
He tells the tax collectors not to take more than they are required to take, but he says to, to collect only what they are required and no more. Every single thing he says, it's interesting. You see, he's telling them that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming and you need to be ready. And they ask, okay, what do we do to get ready? And his answers involve giving people shirts and not taking more than you need. Isn't that interesting? It, it, it seems too easy. Listen to this. I, 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 I loved the way this, this one um, book phrases. It. It, says, it says, John, in these passages, what John does is he calls for a radical generosity in which everything beyond subsistence necessities is vulnerable to the claim of need. He, t he calls for a radical generosity in which everything beyond our basic needs, anything beyond what you need for daily living, is vulnerable to the claim of the need of somebody else. That's what he tells them. How do I prepare my heart for Jesus? How do I lower these hills? How do I raise these valleys? He tells them to be generous. How does all this prepare us for Jesus' coming? How did it prepare them for Jesus' coming and how might we take a word from it to prepare us for Jesus' coming? Listen to the passage again, just the couple passages. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Now remember, John called them to repentance and to producing this fruit, this generosity. I fully believe that when, when it is said that he is lowering these mountains and he is raising these valleys, what John is doing is he is saying that all obstacles need to be eliminated. Everything needs to get out of the way so that Jesus can be received freely. Anything that might hinder that message, anything that might hinder you receiving the full message of Jesus Christ needs to be, getting, needs to be rid in our lives. And he calls people to repentance and to giving to those in need. In our, in our series on the tale of two kingdoms, I believe it was like our first week where we talked about repentance. And, and Pastor Matt talked about repentance. It's not just about confessing, but it's a full like 180 degree turn. I was doing this with my life and I have shifted and now I'm going this way. And what we see here is he is calling the people to repent of their sins. And if you remember, Matt, Pastor Matt mentioned that, that the people of God were convinced that it wasn't their sins that needed to be forgiven. It was the sins of all the people around them, the Babylonians who held them in exile, the Romans who had been oppressing them and taking too much in taxes. They, those people, those are the ones who need to repent of their sins. And what John here says, no, everyone, all of you need to repent of your sins. And if you are clinging 
to those things, clinging to that sin, clinging to that, that greed, clinging to, to, to these, these actions that inhibit these relationships in life. If you are holding on to them, then they will block this message of Jesus Christ. They, they will prevent you from hearing it. There's a couple times in this passage where he warns people that they might not hear this message. It happens in, in verse 7. He says, he told the crowds who were coming, he says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. He's talking to people who would have been considered the chosen people. He's talking to people, at least in this instance, who would have been the ones that would have considered themselves already in. They were the people who were already chosen by God. They were the ones who had been waiting for God. If anybody was going to hear the message, it was going to be them. And notice that John ushers the most stern warning to these people. Do not think that your, your ancestors, do not think that the people into, whom, into which you were born have anything to do with your ability to hear the message. In fact, I think it's completely possible that, that the religious people, the people who thought they were good enough, are the ones who would have been least, least aware of their need to repent of their sins. You could even think of this as maybe it's, maybe it's you and I, the ones who are in church every Sunday. We're the ones whom we know our Bibles. It's not us who need to repent of our sins in preparation for Jesus' coming. It's all those heathens out there who are doing something else on a Sunday morning. And, and what John here says is, no, all of us need to repent. All of us need to take a look inward and see those areas of our lives that we are clinging to, those areas of, our, of sin that we are holding on to that will prevent us from really seeing, from hearing, and receiving Jesus Christ. That's the first group he warns. The second group that doesn't quite hear this, notice, and this, is, this has to do with Herod at the end of the passage, is... is Herod had a lot of power and influence, and listen to what he does. In verse 19, it says, When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. You see, Herod was so holding so tightly to his sin that he had the power. He, he had the authority to just make it go away. Rather than repent, rather than hear the word and look inward and admit that he was doing something wrong, what he did is he made the voice go away. And let me tell you, that is the opposite of what John was telling him. You see, I really do wonder what is getting in the way for you and me. You see, we, we are not... Uh, Israelites who are coming out of exile. We are not the people of God who have been waiting for Jesus to come. Jesus has already come. But the truth is, we are our people who are waiting for Jesus to come again. 
And we are here in the season of Advent we, where we are remembering Jesus' first coming, where we're looking forward to his next coming. And a question I have for each and every one of us is, are we, are we prepared? Are we prepared? Is there anything getting in the way for you and me? Is there anything that is blocking you and me receiving Jesus Christ to his fullest? Is there anything in our lives that we need to repent of? Any area where we are so holding on so tightly to our sin, to something that we know is wrong, something that we know we shouldn't be doing, that we are, are so in love with our sin that it's not even possible to love Jesus. What relationships in our lives are we neglecting? What areas of generosity are we neglecting? Because we are holding on so tightly to material gains, to our own comfort, to our own status, or, 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 or you know, the amount of money we have. How, what is holding us back? What sins have become so enmeshed in who we are that we cannot let go of them? What does it look like to prepare for Jesus' coming? And, I'm, and, it, and right now I'm talking about us, here and now. I, I think it takes a moment of deep introspection, of looking deep within us and go, what is holding me back? What am I clinging to? What do I need to repent of? What relationships am I neglecting? Where am I failing to be generous and kind towards those around me? You see, as I said, people of God waited thousands of years for these promises to be fulfilled. And the truth is, you and I have just as many promises in scriptures that Jesus is going to come back. You and I have all kinds of confirmations that Jesus is going to come again. And the problem is that you and I, like that passage in Isaiah, are like grass. We fail, we bend, we, 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 are, we are weak, and we cannot hold it on. But remember that promise that happened right after that where it said, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of the Lord endures forever. This Christmas season, I want us to really think about preparing our hearts for Jesus. But I also want us to understand that we are part of this legacy of God's people who have been waiting. And you know what? We are going to continue to wait. And Jesus might come back tomorrow. He might come back, you know, a week from now. He might come back thousands of years into the future. So our great, 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 great grandchildren will be the ones who get to see it happening. And you know what? When that happens, I know that with all of that time built up, with all of that longing, with all of that yearning and that hope that has been built up over generations, that there is going to be a whole new playlist of songs, that there is going to be just this joy welling up in us that just cannot be contained, that we cannot help but burst forth in a whole new Christmas playlist. And I cannot wait for that day. But in the meantime, you and I need to be prepared. We need to be ready. And just like John the Baptist said, we need to do so by producing fruit and keeping with repentance, loving those around us, making sure we are not holding on 
to any of these things more strongly than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the promises that you give us in Scripture. Thank you for the fact that you have not left us in vain, alone. God, thank you that you are faithful. We pray that you would forgive us for the ways in which we are like grass, the ways in which we fail to remember the good things you have done, the ways in which we have clung to our sin and, and things of this world rather than you. Please reveal those things to each and every one of our hearts and help us to repent of them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.